0: called to. The Greek word there is kaleo, means called. Today we're going to be in part four of the journey that we've been on, that we've called called to. This is the final part in that series. Next week we start something new called sticky love about relationships. And uh, once again we're going to look at something that all believers have been called for. Jesus died and then he rose again And he ascended. But before he ascended into heaven, he gathered with the 11 remaining disciples on a mountain. And he issued at that point his last words, his last thoughts. Just before I go, this is what's most important to me. The last thoughts, what we call in the church the Great Commission. His final words, those things that he had on his mind, his life assignment for us as believers Jesus called us to make disciples. If you're a disciple or you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are called to make disciples. Matthew 28 is where we find the Great Commission. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Therefore, go. Okay, the Greek word, There, that's translated as "go" is the word that's um, "pur yo om ahi." Yeah, end of the the end of this word, it means uh, to travel, to to depart, to go, to make a journey. Okay, so we just have like a grammar alert. The grammar here is really important. That is a present participle, and when I say that, I know that that makes it absolutely clear to. Four people in the country. All right, no one knows what a present participle is. It's not so much of a command as go, as it is to say as you go, as as you're going, as as you do life, as you are living, as you are following Jesus, make disciples. And too many people think that well, you have to fly over an ocean to make uh, disciples. Right? We go overseas, and don't we already have people who are doing that? Don't we already have people in that department and some will do that, that's the way some of it goes. And we have some friends who are doing that right now. Derek and Bonnie Burnett, we've been following them. They just started their next phase of the mission in Khon Thailand. Tori Bissell from Into One, just left this week um, for her trip to Kenya. We follow Lisa Brown in the, in the Southern Pacific Asia. Kevin Lim and his family, just left in August to go to Cambodia. Some do fly to make disciples, but the teaching of Jesus is just way more accessible than that. As you do life, make disciples. Wherever you are going anyways, make disciples there. And as you are going there. So what what does a disciple actually mean? Well, a disciple is more than simply a convert. Uh, A disciple is more than just a church member. Uh, A disciple is more than a parent who drops their kids off Kids' church. A disciple is, is more than someone who has decided to like and follow into one on Facebook. All right, a disciple is more than just someone who attends church. A disciple is a learner, a committed learner. A disciple is a pupil, a student, someone who's studying. A disciple is a follower or an adherent, they have been adhered to. In the New Testament, the early believers were called, they, they were not called Christians at the very beginning. When they were, when they started to be called Christians, it was actually a derogatory term. They said, oh, you're just like a little Christ over there. That's who you are. You're the Christ ones. And what they were saying is, hey, look, it's just a bunch of little Jesuses, little copycats. That's what they were called. And when they said Christian, it was actually a trash talk. They, they were not speaking highly of these people. But these disciples were actually followers of a rabbi. They were followers of a teacher. They would adhere to the teachings of the rabbi. I would like to know what you know. That's why I'm following you. I want to be like you. That's why I'm here. So just like in the Old Testament, we have Elisha, and he stuck to Elijah. And he said, I want what you've got. I want a double portion of what you have. Or we have uh, Ruth and Naomi, and, and they say, wherever you go, I will go. We, we have uh, Jesus and his disciples Then later on, we would have Paul and Timothy. I want to be under your teaching. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to follow what you've got. I believe that you have more than I do, and that's where I want to go. I want to be like you. I want to think like you. I want to learn what you have said. I want to be like you in every way, Jesus. As you go through life, you are to make disciples. So at its foundation, that means that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will be making disciples disciples. You will be sharing the love of Jesus. It starts with people who don't know him, right? And, and as you, uh, you're a bank teller, you look for opportunities to make disciples. As you're a high school student, you, you go around and you look for opportunities to make disciples. As you're a stay-at-home mom, you are discipling your children and discipling the other moms who get together for playgroup. Um, if you're a coach, you you, you disciple the other coaches. You you disciple the athletes that are in your mix as well. As you do life, wherever you go, you make disciples. As you walk across the gym, you can intentionally reach out to people relationally. As you go to school or you, you start a new job, you look for opportunities to reach out to make disciples. This is always a process, okay? So you don't start making a disciple by finishing, right? That's the part that we're nervous about. How do we finish that off, right? You start by engaging in intentional relationship, and you're doing that already. Everywhere you go, you've got relationships. Every time you meet with someone, every time you meet them, you are progressing in your relationship with those people, sometimes for good, sometimes not so much for good, But the relationship is changing. Sometimes it progresses awfully. The reality is, though, that as as a group, as as churches in North America, we are not doing a great job of making disciples. The model is people come to church, right? Come and watch the church thing, see what happens there, and then go about and live your life as if that moment stopped when you left. They say, you know what, The, the church, the church should disciple me. We say, no, 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 no. You forget. You are the church. Wherever you go, you are the church. And you were called to be uh, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. And the mission that you're on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. The mission is that you are to be making disciples wherever you go and whatever you do. Now, I'm no dummy, all right? I know that this is kind of hard to figure out. I know that there's all kinds of... uh, Parts of this that feel intimidating. But I think, again, part of the intimidation comes from looking at the end instead of looking on the beginning. So just focus on the beginning at the beginning. Just worry about beginning for now. And I propose that these issues that we have arise out of two misconceptions about discipling. The first one many of you probably feel like this already. You feel like I'm not ready to disciple anyone, I'm just not ready, I'm not trained. Uh, I don't know how to lead a Bible study. I didn't even know how to poorly pronounce Greek the way Graham does. I can't even do that. I, I don't, I don't want to lead a prayer meeting. That makes me feel scared. And I certainly don't want you coming to a Bible study that I'm leading when you start asking all your questions that I can't answer. And I know that you're probably sitting there waiting to get into a Bible study where you get to say, tell me about the flying beasts of Revelation, right? Right? The flying beasts and the horns and the tattoos of 666 and the fire and the blood and the judgment. I don't understand it. I'm afraid you're going to ask me something about it. I don't want to know. And I don't know enough. I don't know everything. So it's easier to live like I don't know anything. And I can feel that way. And I think a lot of people do. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough to disciple people. So, what I hope we can do today is reframe some of what you think of when you think of discipling. What does that mean? Certainly, discipling people involves and revolves around um, the Bible in, in somewhere way, around God's Word, but it doesn't have to be limited to a Bible study. It can be as you do life. You are helping others to apply biblical principles to their lives, even if they don't really want to. Take somebody... that that you want to be around, and you just do something kind to them. They don't know that you're trying to care for them. Or or you you meet with a a married couple. They're they're, they're struggling a little bit, and you say, hey, here's some ways that you can honor God together in your relationship. Or it it could be someone who who doesn't understand money, and you say, hey, let me help you get some strategies here. Let me help you get some best practices on how to manage money. It could be um, just, just praying with someone and letting them hear you pray. It could be uh, taking someone with you you when you go on a visit to the hospital. Or you just say, hey, come with me. Let's let's go and visit someone at home because they're stuck at home because they got kids at home or because of an illness. We're just going to go visit them. Grab someone together. Go take them cookies. go, Go take them muffins. And you are intentionally building this relationship and bringing somebody along with you. You are called by God to make disciples. Feel it. Believe it. Embrace it. You are called and you are equipped and you are empowered by God to make disciples as you are going. You have the experience and every day increases the experience that you have. You have the gifts necessary and you have the word of God. There's a second reason, a second misconception I think many people have about what it means to make disciples. And most people or many people feel like, I don't need someone to disciple me, all right? A bunch of people simply don't see the value in it. Some people are simply too proud. I don't want to have somebody else in there. I don't want somebody coming up to me, getting all up in my grill, telling me what I should do, all right? I know what I should do. Who would know better about what to do for me than me? Of course, I don't need you. And if, if that's the way that you feel, that, that it's going to be invasive like that, then I think you're just unfortunately, sadly, terribly misinformed. You need to hear this next part, okay? The, the better that you are at something, or the better that you hope to be at something, the more specialized help you should seek. Take sports, for example, okay? Hockey. The higher you advance in hockey, the more coaches, the more development people there are. People to help you skate. People to help you with your shot. People to help you with your defense, People to help you with your offense, the power play, the penalty kill, injury management, strength development, your health and nutrition, your psychological preparation, your mental focus. The list just goes on and on. Now imagine a group of kindergarten students who play ball hockey. Let's say you got 15 people on the team, right? You've got one teacher, one teacher to, to supervise them and to teach them everything else that they're supposed to learn in all the other categories. They don't need specialist-level training. They're not that good. One coach is enough to do what they need to do. They don't need the specialized help. What they really need is probably just a juice box, right? And they're good to go. But if you want to be the best dad, then you've got spiritual, you need a spiritual father to help you develop as a dad. If you want to develop your leadership, you need to have people speaking into your life about spiritual leadership. I've got people who mentor me in leadership. I have people who mentor me in God's Word. I have uh, counselors who speak into my life, trying to give me direction. People who teach me about life balance. Uh, people who teach me about how to manage money and how to manage money better. Uh, I've got many Pauls speaking into my life. The great model there is Paul and Timothy. Uh, Paul was a spiritual father to Timothy. So Paul's the father and Timothy's the son, all of you need a Paul or Pauls who who, will speak in, someone who's more experienced, someone who's more developed, who can help you spiritually and practically. Uh, They they can disciple you and cause you to grow into becoming more like Jesus. And all of you, you need a Timothy. You need someone to pour into. All that stuff that you're getting from your Pauls, goes into you, but it's not supposed to stay with you. It's supposed to come back out. You share it, you pour it into your Timothy because you are called to make disciples. I think there's kind of a misunderstanding that uh, how this needs to happen. People uh, think that it's something that happens at the church. It's, it's somehow magic in the walls here that we have a, a special Bible study. And, and absolutely, a Bible study is part of it, all right? But there's so much more. And, and that's what I wanted to try to do, Trying to make this a little bit more simple, something accessible. So someone like even a grade two student could say, you know what? I could do that. I could disciple people at school. It's just that simple. And it starts with introducing Jesus. All right? And then after that, it's all about helping people to be more like Jesus. So here we go. You can make disciples. How? Number one is you can make disciples by your example. It's good for you to be an example, it's good for the people around you to have an example. It's very, very simple. When the Apostle Paul told his friends in the church in the city of Philippi, he said, join with others in following my example. Brothers and sisters, just as you have, um, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. People are watching you anyways. You are watching other people anyways. You do it all the time. Pay attention to those people around you. You're not there to judge. You're there to learn. So you learn from each other. Be aware that people might be watching you, that their eyes are on you as you try to solve problems, as you deal with issues, as you, as you uh, overcome hardships, as you celebrate landmarks, as you go, do all that you do, as you do life, as you go about your regular everyday living, make disciples. You're not perfect. So it's okay to tell people, I'm not perfect. But as you grow closer to Jesus, learning how to live amidst all of your imperfections is really valuable training. And you can be a model. You can be an example. And I was scared at first when I read what Paul said to the church in Corinth, how how they should go forward, what the plan was. And I thought, fine for you, Paul, but that's not going to work for me. I'll tell you, honestly, my feelings have changed about that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. As I'm trying to be like him, you try to be like me as I'm trying to be like him. That's what it was. And the Greek word here translated as follow is the word mimetes. And you can totally hear the, the, the word that we pull out from that word in English. It means to follow or to imitate. If you don't know how to formally disciple someone, be a good example and let them watch you. This is good for you to have a sense that somebody is watching you, and it's good for them to have somebody watch. And you tell them up front, I didn't say that I wasn't going to fall down. I am going to fall down. Now, watch what I do as I get back up. Don't copy the fall, but learn from it, right? Copying the getting back up, imitate the forgiveness, embrace the, uh, the, the, the pattern of humility and the, 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 the lifestyle of confession. These followers that we have will be within our own families. So our children watch and learn. That's what they do. When I say our children, I mean the ones that are in your house, but I also mean the ones that see you, that see us. They see us at church. They see us at school. They see us at sports events or school events. And they see us in the food court. Our children learn by what they see. We all learn by what we see. And our children are imitating what they see on a regular basis. They imitate the culture around them. And they, uh, we are not called to look like the culture around us. Right? Do not be Conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so parents if our kids look like the world think like the world and imitate culture it's because we are not discipling them to be not of this world and honestly i'll tell you i feel exposed and i feel vulnerable when i know that somebody is watching me but you know what they still watch me anyways it doesn't matter. It still happens. And I, and I want my children to see um, and to imitate a godly home. That means I want them to see a caring, uh, accepting, kind environment. That means that I am double caught when I lose my temper. Because I don't want it for me, but I don't want it for them. I want our kids to see us live beneath our means financially. And understand that things aren't what make you happy. I want them to see us live a debt-free life. So that they would know that we are not welded to the stuff of this world. Why? Because we are not of this world. And I want them to see us create great margin in our lives. So that we have the freedom to be generous in in our time. Generous in our treasure. Generous in our talent. I want them to see us invest in in, in the stuff that's not of this world. I want them to see our allegiance to Jesus and to the things of his kingdom and to be able to point to them. I want them to be comfortable praying out loud and in front of people. Parents, surrounding adults, that's your calling. You can do this. You You can make disciples by your example as you go. As you become more like Christ, they can follow that. There's a second way that you can make disciples. One is by example. The second is by or with your words. What comes out of your mouth, what you allow to slip out, and what comes out on purpose. God told Moses um, to get Joshua ready. He said, but commission Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he will lead this people cross, and he will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. God says to Moses, disciple Joshua, encourage him, strengthen him with your words, tell him who he can become, speak life into him, build him up, paint possibility for him with your words. Use your words to encourage and to strengthen him, those around you. Years ago now, years ago, I met this guy, and we started talking, and it progresses. we get to the place where he says, I'm in a bad space, I'm not doing well, I am really considering taking my life, and frankly, I, I didn't see it coming, I was unprepared for that sudden turn, but he's serious, and I say, but why, what's the, what's the issue, what has happened to make you seriously consider that, and he said, I don't have anything good going for me and he was convinced, and he listed off a series of very hard things, and there was no doubt that he was at a a hard time in his life. He told me his his resume of failure and, and the evaluations that he had learned because of it. He said, I'm stupid. I'm ugly. Nobody really likes me. Just look at me. I'm worthless. And I asked him, how long has that been your playlist? He says, I don't know, but it's true. But how long? I don't know, since I was like six. Dude, that's years. You've been playing that list in your head for like 12 years. You've got so much going for you. He said, no, I don't. I okay, said, tell me right now three things that you've got going for you. He said, I can't think of any. And all of a sudden, I, I, I get this sense that, that God is speaking to me in a very real way, a clear way. And I reached over and I grabbed a piece of paper. And all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, you're going to tell me 100 things that are good about you. I'm going to write them down and we're going to sit here. We're going to stay here until this is done. And he's like, there's, there's nothing start now. What's something good about you? Well, I got a dry sense of humor. I'm kind of funny. Of course you are. Write it down. You're funny. Something else. He says, well, okay, I'm a pretty good writer. Yes, you are. Good writer. Write it down. Something else. And before long, This guy who couldn't think of anything good about himself. He got on a roll, (laughs) and the ideas just kept coming to him. One thing after another after another. He says, I'm faithful. You can depend on me. I'm a loyal person. My parents are proud of me. I was really good in school, I'm a good singer. And he just started listing things. And, and as he's doing it, the tears start to flow. Keep on going, man. And I'm trying to, trying to write shorthand, scribbling to try and keep up. And he just keeps going. And it, and it went on and on. And then we got to 90. And I said, okay, stop. The last 10 are here. They're, they're, they're for God. What does God think about you? And as the progression is coming, realization is coming in, he just starts sobbing. And of course, I'm sobbing. And he says, God thinks I'm special. Write that down. God has forgiven me of so much. God has a special plan for me. God loves me. God created me in his image. And, and, And we just cried our way to the end. And I folded it up. And I handed it to him, and I said, this is you, right? This is who you need to see yourself as. We prayed. I lost touch with the guy. Not right away. That's not what the prayer was for, right? I wasn't trying to lose. <laughs> but, but he moved, and I moved, and, and I didn't know what happened to him. And then years later, I meet him as I'm preaching at a retreat. And, and it turns out he's one of the leaders of the church that was hosting the retreat. And he came up to me at the end. He says, I want to introduce you to my wife. And she knew who I was apparently. So she hugs me. And I hug him and I hug her. And the next thing, he says, I I want to show you something. And he takes his hand, he goes to his back pocket and he pulls out his wallet. And as he opens his wallet up, from the wallet he pulls out a well-worn piece of paper. And he said, that one hour That we spent together. And these 100 things. They saved my life. And they enabled me to be the man that I am today. That's discipling. I wasn't even there for years. Right? A moment. As you go. As the situation arises. You make disciples. Not my disciple. Right? Disciple of Jesus. Someone who has a reformed, renewed mind. And I want you to hear this. If you're not making disciples, if it's not part of what you do at all, then I need to ask the question, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just interested? Is that not part of what the whole thing is about? Because when you know him, when you truly know him, you just, you can't help yourself. It just happens. When he really has changed your life, when you know that you have been changed, when you are a disciple, you make disciples as you go because it almost happens by accident. But we become intentional. And our church will never get to the next level without getting this, without embracing this idea. It's about relationships, intentional, overlapping, honest, messy, inconvenient, God-focused relationships. It's about doing life together. Being on this road trip together in earnest pursuit of Jesus, being brought together into one. But it's your choice. You might say, well, you know what? I got a personal relationship with Jesus and I like to keep it personal. Thanks. And I say, great. It's supposed to be a personal relationship. It's not something you got from your family. It's yours. It's personal. But it was never designed or supposed to be private. This is what we must be about This gives life and depth to everything else you're doing in the midst of your other lousy things that are going on. This can provide sustenance for you. This is what you must be about. You are called by God to make disciples. Let's pray. God, would you stir us up as a church to be faithful to you in this calling? Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you as as we risk And as we reach out to you, and as we reach out to those people around us, not to try and jam something down their throats, but to offer truth, to just be honest in the way that we relate, to believe that what you have asked us to do is really for our best. And so when we live like that, we are living our best. We want to share that with somebody else. It's not to be kept secret, but we're scared. We live in fear of what people will think. What if I do it the wrong way? What if I don't do it right? What I'm going to do doesn't sound at all like what Graham just said. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, help us to become well acquainted with your voice and your promptings so that when we sense your prompting, we can move forward and we can take it. And it will look different for each of us. You work in that way. You are mysterious and you are wonderful. You are unique. And the way that you work is unique and special for us. So for my friends today who are stepping into a new week, I pray that you would give them a vision to see opportunity, to see possibility, to risk that little bit, to say, I will be an example, even though I don't feel fully qualified, they're watching anyways, I might as well step up my game and do this on purpose. We know that we're going to fail, and so we don't hold people to artificial standards, No. None of us are perfect, but we are able to watch as the process goes. What does repentance look like? What does confession look like? How do I get back up even after a failure? These are things that are about real life, and that's the kind of life that we want to be, a real life focused on you, Jesus. Take us into that, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You were called. You were chosen and set apart and set aside, loved by the God who created you. Not just past tense, but current tense, loved by the God who created you, who knows when you fall and doesn't turn his face from you in those moments, who loves you regardless and in spite of what you have done. May he draw you on to understand the freedom that you may find in him as you release yourself more completely when you risk and show your faith. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being with us today. It's better when you're here, better when we're together.